Bibles together to the book of Romans, chapter 9. Romans, chapter 9. And I'm going to read and preach verses 30 through 33 this morning, finishing up the chapter. These verses are about two ways to righteousness, two different ways, two mutually exclusive ways to righteousness, to be right with God, to have right standing before God the judge, to be declared righteous in the courtroom of God's perfect justice. There's a righteousness by faith, and there's a righteousness by works. There is a righteousness that Christ accomplishes and that we receive by faith, and there's a righteousness that we accomplish, that we earn by our works. Paul's going to talk about those two ways to righteousness in the verses before us, and even if these concepts are familiar to us, we've certainly covered them quite a bit already in the book of Romans, God has put them here for us again to consider again together at least in part because of how important they are. Martin Luther said that the doctrine of justification by faith alone, being declared righteous by faith apart from works, was the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls. But God has also put these truths here again for us to feed on together, like a reliable go-to meal he might make often for dinner. He's put these truths here again for us to feed on spiritually so that our hearts can be nourished, so that our hearts can be strengthened and satisfied again in him. So let's pray and ask for his help as we look at these verses and then we'll begin. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would feed us again these wonderful gospel truths We thank you for opening our eyes to see our sin, to see our unrighteousness before you. Thank you for Jesus Christ, who atoned for our sins on the cross, and who also lived a perfect life of righteousness, fully obedient to you at all times. And we thank you that by faith, his atonement and his righteousness become ours. And we are forgiven of our sins and clothed in his perfect righteousness. Lord, help us to grasp those all-important truths and help us to feed on them again by faith together this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 9, reading verses 30 through 33. This is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible word of God. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. As you can see in your sermon notes there, we're going to take a very simple approach 
to these verses this morning. We'll look at what verse 30 has to say about righteousness by faith, and then verses 31 through 33 about righteousness by works. And kids, don't forget the key words for kids at the top of the sermon notes there in the bulletin. You can see them. You can listen for those words as you listen to the sermon. The whole sermon is for you, of course, along with all the rest of us, but listening for those particular words may help you to listen along with the rest of us to the whole sermon. Sermons aren't just for adults, they're for children too. So kids, I hope you'll learn and grow from this sermon. Well, let's see what verse 30 says then about righteousness by faith. Look again at verse 30. What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness by faith. What shall we say then is an FAQ, a frequently asked question in this letter, and here it serves as a kind of bridge between what Paul's been saying and the verses that follow. He's just been talking about the fact that many Gentiles, but only a remnant of Jews, are saved, and the sense of this question is, why is that the case? Why have so many Gentiles and yet so few Jews attained righteousness. What shall we say then about this, he's asking. And he goes on to say that many Gentiles have attained righteousness by faith, while many of the Jews tried to attain righteousness by works, by their own obedience to the law. That's why, or that's one reason why, so many Gentiles and yet so few Jews are saved. So that's the function of this little FAQ, what shall we say then? Paul then says two things about Gentiles, two things. Number one, he says that Gentiles, quote, did not pursue righteousness. That is, they didn't pursue the righteousness of God by means of the law, like so many of the Israelites did, as Paul will go on to explain. So this statement would be true of all Gentiles, all non-Israelites who were outside the covenant and had no interest in pursuing the righteousness of God by means of God's law. Now, if there were hyperlinks in the text of the Bible, links you could click on or tap on, I think you could click or tap on the phrase, Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, and it would take you straight back to Romans 1. Let's turn back to Romans 1 for just a minute. I think it's worth taking a minute to read this whole passage. Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 18. And I'd like to read through the end of the chapter. This is what, quote, Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness looks like. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness. You'd think he was describing the 21st century, not the first century. And yet he's really describing every century since the fall of man into sin, isn't he? Mankind does not pursue the righteousness of God. Mankind pursues the unrighteousness of sin. Even those who pursue a kind of righteousness, a kind of virtue or morality, they don't pursue the righteousness of God as defined by the word of God and for the glory of God. By nature, we do not seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, We seek first the kingdom of self and our own sin. We do not pursue righteousness. But what's the solution to that problem? Is the solution to our unrighteousness for us to try to be righteous instead? No, the solution is not our righteousness. It's the righteousness of God. That's what Paul gets at in the second thing he says about Gentiles in verse 30. And now he's clearly talking about Gentiles who have become Christians. He says that they, quote, have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith. They have attained it. In other words, it's not that they have accomplished it, it's that they have appropriated it. It's not that they have achieved it, it's that they have received it. It's not that they have performed it, it's that they have taken personal possession of it by faith. This is a righteousness that is by faith, not by pursuit. They weren't pursuing righteousness, but they attained it. They weren't even in the race, but they received the prize. They received it by faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to a few verses to this effect. Romans 1.17 
for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Later in Romans 3, verses 21 and 22. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Paul says in Galatians 2, 16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And finally, in Philippians 3, 7 through 9, but whatever gain I had, Paul's talking about himself here, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. We lack righteousness. We need righteousness. Christ offers us his righteousness. We receive it by faith. It's not by our works. And that is very good news for us. Because if it were, we would never measure up. We would always fall short. Whatever we do would never be enough. But salvation is by faith and not by works. It's by faith in Christ, not by faith in yourself. It's by the works of Christ, not your own works. And faith is not a work. It's the opposite of a work. Faith isn't just an alternative form of payment, another method of payment, like cash instead of check. You know, God doesn't take works, but he'll take faith as a form of payment for salvation. No, we don't purchase righteousness by faith. We receive righteousness by faith. Righteousness is a present, not a paycheck. It's not something we earn. It's a free gift we receive Like the priest Philip read about earlier in the service from Zechariah 3. He was clothed with filthy garments. But then his iniquity was taken away and he was clothed with pure vestments. We have been clothed with the pure vestments of the righteousness of Christ. If we have received him and them by faith. And one of the great things about those pure vestments we are clothed in is that they can never, ever become impure. They can never be stained, even by our own sin. Kids, I'm sure you've gotten grass stains on your pants before from playing in the grass. Well, these clothes can never get a stain on them. The robe of the righteousness of Christ that we are wearing by faith is unstained and it is unstainable. To be sure, when we sin, it does hinder our fellowship with God and others, and we should repent of our sin quickly and confess it to God and be freshly cleansed and forgiven. But none of that 
touches the righteousness of Christ. None of that stains the robe of his righteousness because it is his righteousness, his perfect righteousness that we're talking about here. He already accomplished it. He already performed it. He already finished it. And now we are clothed in it. And in terms of our standing before God, we will never be more righteous or less righteous than we are right now as those who have received the righteousness of Christ by faith. And knowing that shouldn't make us want to sin. It should make us want to rejoice. Knowing that we are clothed in the unstained and unstainable robe of Christ's righteousness should make us want to worship him and love him and obey him. It should make us want to walk with him every moment of every day of our lives. We don't walk around dressed in our own righteousness as Christians. We walk around dressed in the righteousness of Christ, a righteousness that is by faith. Well, we need to see what Paul says about righteousness by works in the remaining verses. So let's turn our attention to them now under our second main point, righteousness by works. And here Paul's talking about Israel, the many Israelites who pursued righteousness by works and did not attain it. Look at verse 31. But that Israel, Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. Here we're told three things about Israel. First, we're told that they, quote, pursued a law that would lead to righteousness. This either means that they pursued a law that they wrongly thought would lead to righteousness, or they pursued a law that would lead to righteousness if they obeyed it perfectly, both of which are true biblically. If you obey the law perfectly, that would lead to righteousness, to right standing before God. The only problem is, even though that's theoretically possible, it is practically impossible in this life because we're sinners and we can't keep the law perfectly. That's why we need to trust in Jesus who kept the law perfectly for us. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Secondly, we're told that though they pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, they, quote, did not succeed in reaching that law. No one can reach the law of God perfectly. No one can climb all the way to that summit. No one can obey God perfectly in thought, word, and deed every moment of every day. Westminster Shorter Catechism number 82 asks, Is any man able perfectly to keep the commandments of God? Answer, No mere man since the fall is able in this life perfectly to keep the commandments of God, but doth daily break them in thought, word, and deed. You can pursue the law that leads to righteousness, but you will fall short of the glory of God. If you think you can keep the law of God perfectly, you either have too low a view of the law or too high a view of yourself or both. God requires personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience, and anything less than that merits 
condemnation before him. So Israel pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, but they did not succeed in reaching that law, Paul says. And then he asks why, and this is the third thing we should notice here, the reason they didn't succeed in reaching that law. Verse 32, because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. Look at what he says a few verses later in chapter 10, verse 2. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. You know, that's actually how Paul himself started out before he was converted. Listen to what he says in Philippians 3, part of which I read earlier. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So many of the Jews were like Paul before he was converted. They pursued righteousness, but not by faith. They pursued it as if it were based on works. They pursued a righteousness of their own that comes from the law. They didn't pursue the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness from God that we receive by faith. So many of the Jews were like those Jesus told the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector to Luke 18, verse 9. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. They tried to be justified by the law, by their own obedience to the law, by their own works. So while the Gentiles pursued unrighteousness, the Jews pursued righteousness, but they pursued it in the wrong way by the wrong path. They took the path of works instead of the path of faith. But only the path of faith leads to righteousness. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But even after we've taken the path of faith as believers, I think it's easy to veer off that path and back onto the path of works. That is, it's easy to drift into a works mentality, a works mindset when it comes to how we live the Christian life and how we conceive of our relationship with God. Of course, the faithful Christian life includes doing many good works. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
but we can slip into doing those works in a way that relies on those works instead of relying on the works of Christ for our right standing before God. Even after we've been clothed in the pure vestments of the righteousness of Christ, we sometimes live as if we stand before God in our own clothes. And we feel the pressure of making sure our clothes are clean enough for God. And are we doing enough to make them clean and to keep them clean instead of resting and rejoicing in the unstained and unstainable robe of Christ's own righteousness. We're like the main character in the R.C. Sproul book for kids, the priest with dirty clothes. Kids, perhaps some of you have read this or had it read to you. After this priest was given new clothes by the prince, it says that he was filled with joy. How can I ever thank you for being so kind to me, he asked the prince. The prince said, if you are really thankful and if you want to show that you love me, then keep all the commandments that I give to you. And there's the, the rightful place of good works in the Christian life or response to the grace of God. Oh, I will, Jonathan said. I want to be good enough to wear your clothes. There's that wrong works mentality. Slipping back into that is so easy. I want to be good enough to wear your clothes. Then the prince said to him, but you cannot be good enough, Jonathan. You must live your whole life trusting in my goodness while you wear my clothes. We can't live our lives trying to be good enough because we will never be good enough. We have to live our lives trusting in the one who was good enough, who was perfect for us. Any good we now do is a response to what he has done. Any good we now do is empowered by what he has done. But all our trust and all our hope must be in him and remain in him alone. So many of the Israelites pursued righteousness by works, as if it were based on works. And Paul says one more thing about them in the second half of verse 32 and verse 33. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Paul's quoting from Isaiah here, and he's making the point that the Jews stumbled over the stumbling stone, which is Christ. They were, it was because they tried to pursue righteousness by their own works instead of by faith in Christ. They were relying on themselves, and Jesus was telling them instead to rely on him. But they rejected him. They stumbled over him. Sometimes our youngest children don't want their mom or dad to help them with something because they want to do it. And if you try to help them, they let you know they don't want your help. In a similar way, if you're trying to pursue righteousness on your own, you don't want Christ's help. In fact, you're offended by Christ's help. If you're trying to do it, you're not going to rely on Christ to help you or to do it for you. And you're going to be offended by the message that you can't do it and that you need Christ. And yet, God's word says that whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Whoever believes 
in Christ will not be put to shame. First Peter 2, 6 through 8 says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Romans 10, verses 11 through 13. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's a prophecy in Joel 2, verses 26 and 27 that says, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else And my people shall never again be put to shame. Last word. If we try to be righteous by works, we will be put to shame on the day of judgment. Because our works won't measure up to God's perfect, holy standard. If we receive righteousness by faith, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, if we believe in him, then we will not be put to shame on the day of judgment. Rather, we will be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray together. God, we pray that you would help us to stand on Christ, the solid rock. Not to rely on the sinking sand of our own righteousness, but to rely on his righteousness. Thank you that all who believe in him are clothed permanently in his pure vestments, faultless to stand before your throne. Give us joy and rest and peace in him today. We pray in his name, amen.